Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Palace Way podcast. I'm Bruno, and today I'll be joined by our very own Academy writer, Henry Swain. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing good, mate. As well as journalist Edmund Brack. How about you? Yeah, I'm very well. Thank you, Bruno. Thank you for having me on again. Uh, yeah, a real pleasure. All good. Of course, mate. Always great to have you. Um, Edmund, for those of you that are somehow not familiar, covers both Palace and AFC Wimbledon for the South London Press. He's um, been absolutely fantastic in his coverage of the club um, and sort of been more prevalent over the last six months, you know, with the high um, stakes transfer window and has become almost a staple, I would say is a staple of um, sort of the Palace News um, area. Um, We're going to be going straight into it, um, looking at Everton, a slightly depressing game, but a lot to talk about as well. And then we'll be moving on to the recent rumours of Dougie Freeman potentially joining Manchester United. And we'll finish off looking at Joko Bryan, who uh, left the club for Lyon in the summer. So yes, uh, Everton, a 3-2 defeat at home. A strange game because I felt like the result didn't quite reflect how he played. Henry, what were your thoughts? Well, as you know, I was in the press box at the Lincoln City v Port Vale. So I was kind of keeping like a second eye on the Palace game. Um... From the sounds of it, from watching the highlights as many times as I always do after Palace games, it's just, it sounds and looks like three big chances for Everton with just calamitous defending, to be honest. I mean, you know, it seems, I remember messaging you, uh, you know, with some colourful language along the lines of like, what is wrong with us? Like, what is it about the first five minutes of each half? We just seem to completely come out, not switched on, takes us time to wake up, get into the game and... Yeah, I mean, that was proven on, on Saturday, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it felt completely um, almost unwarranted, really, because we felt like we dominated that game. We did. Uh, we had 67% possession, twice as many passes as Everton, and our accuracy on those passes was um, 14% higher than them as well, with us having 87%. So based off those possession-based stats, it was clear that we had a strong foothold in the game. Um, and... Despite that general dominance that we showed, uh, which you'd expect at home and against a side like Everton, they're able to make the most of those big chances. Uh, it's a strange one. I have to say, it's probably one of my favourite games of football that I've, I've seen in a long time. Like the phonetic sort of natures of it, until I saw Chelsea City the, the day after. Yeah. But um, <laughs> it was a really, it was a really good game just to watch it from the press box. I thought, I thought, as you say, we dominated. I think the stats tell that as well. But Everton, who we're a club who are sort of going through a phase at the moment where it's us versus everyone with what's happening with them with their chairman passing away and Sean Dyche has really sort of built a characteristic throughout that team that's quite workmanlike. That's what I noticed that Abdullah Decore did a fantastic job for them in that sort of number 10 battering ram role. I thought we really struggled to to cope with that and added to that, Calvert-Lewin seems to give Joachim Anderson and, and Mark Gahey a bit of a Tory time every time he comes up against them. Um, and they just, yeah, they, when they did get their chances, they took them. And I think that's probably been one of our downfalls throughout the season is when you look at our attacking options. Okay, we created quite a few chances on, on Saturday and scored two goals, but from the goals, it's the penalty, which I think the second one's arguably more of a, a penalty than the first one. And then our second goal comes from a, a hor- horrendous mistake from James Tarkovsky, it was, wasn't it? Leaving the ball for, for Edward to tap home. So, okay, we scored two goals, but have we created a million sort of clear-cut chances where you think we've we've been robbed of three points here? Everton have, have very you know taken their chances very well, and Palace leave pointless. Our home form this season is a real concern. I think Roy, yeah. Roy Hodgson alluded to it in the post-match. It's something we need to work on because 
bar Manchester United away, I can't. Yeah, it's it's not been great for for a couple of months. It's good that we're getting Elisa and Eze sort of back on onto the pitch for the first time this season, but still not enough experience in the wide areas. And I feel like we're going to be talking about this until the end of the season. This sort of yeah. rinse and repeat every week, isn't, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You're spot on. There's a ton of recurring themes. I feel this year. Um, obviously the home form like you raised and also our ability to be clinical in front of goal um, it's, we're a long way away from the Vieira days where we couldn't have a shot on target but now it's um, almost like the second generation of that era where we're having shots but we're putting very few of them on target and of those ones on target we're scoring even fewer so at the weekend we you know we had twice as many shots on target as um, sorry we had twice as many shots as Everton but um, the same amount on target and Generally, it just felt like our chances came about through luck. Um, obviously, with the penalty and the flute goal, you kind of feel like we didn't really earn those um, goals. And that's also a trend this season. Um, I feel like the goals we score traditionally come about through a moment of luck or the ball coming to us or you know a cross into the box being driven in at incredibly close range as opposed to a well-worked team goal or just a moment of overall quality in the build-up. Um, Whilst with Everton, I felt that their goals were the product of the way they've been set up as a team, um, especially that um, first goal with um, Mikalenko's header. It's just a ball into the box, which is something they excel at. Um, I fear our ability to defend crosses into the box sometimes. I know we were fantastic at it against um, Brentford earlier this season, but... Against the Dykes team, I felt like we were unprepared for that. And we almost tried to, you know, play their own game against them. We switched to a more long ball based style of play, especially in that second half. And I really don't think it worked. It was an odd tactical decision. I don't know if you noticed that too, Edmund. Um, but uh, I think when when Mateta came on, it definitely changed our style of play. We almost yeah. probably scored at. I don't want to say we scored at the wrong time, but we, I think we might have done a little bit because Mateta was ready to come on. You felt like maybe if he was coming on then and. I don't know, if Edward was staying on and we just went hell for leather with taking Will Hughes off or someone like that, then uh, you get the point and you shut up shop. But it was that we caught in that sort of crossfire where we didn't know whether we wanted to to seal the point or, or to go for all three. Um, and I think that's probably what led to to Everton getting that chance. Then Will Hughes doesn't track the run of Idrissa Garnagay. And um, yeah, it was criminal really in, in the Premier League. But yeah, you're right, actually. It's, it's a good point about where our goals come from this season. Up at Burnley, it's two mistakes and we capitalise on them. Manchester United, it's a wonder strike from from Joachim Anderson. The only game that I'm thinking of which really sticks out of of goals where they're sort of teamwork goals was the Wolves game. Yeah, exactly. Probably our best performance of the season where you think, oh, we, we've played really well here. Even at Brentford, it was Anderson sliding in to, to, to put it past Flecken and stuff like that. It's... Um, and this is the problem with our sort of forward options. It has to either be luck or sort of the perfect goal where we drilled it in towards the back post to, to slide in. It, it can never really be, you know, it can't just be a, a mazy run and, and flicking it onto the edge of the box or something like that. It always has to be a, a, a factor in it to, to lead to the goal. Yeah. I feel like it has also always been that we, especially this season, like when I watch Palace, I don't, I, I don't know what I expect when we're going forward. You know, there doesn't seem to be uh, patterns or any sort of like kind of, uh, I, don't know, I don't know the right word for it. it, it, it it's, exactly, it's exactly that. It's like, you know, we saw, we saw, Ed, and you, you know, I was, I was listening to, to the last episode of the pod um, on my break at work, just a bit of it. And I just like, you're, you're spot on like, Edward, what does he excel at? 
balls that you know delivery into into the box into his feet because he's useless in the air but we don't try and make the most of that and it's just really frustrating and you know I think you both said it, it you know it's it's like by and large it's mistakes from the opposition that we seem to capitalize on and it's not kind of our own we're not really earning those goals in a sense if you, if you see what I mean yeah, you're right. Um, I think Edward was a particularly divisive uh, figure in that game because obviously he scored um, a goal, which is what you want from a striker, but he's just one of those players where he doesn't contribute enough in the build-up. And that might be something you get a lot more from JP. You know, I feel like he has that ability to hold off the defender, play with his um, back to goal, uh, lay it off to a winger. We saw it at Mites especially, uh, if you watched him at that time, but he would just he had quite a good uh, ability at you know, pinging a ball out wide, um, which was something I was really excited for um, when he signed for us. But yeah, Edward's not really got that strength and especially not against a player like James Tarkovsky, man, marking him uh, to compete. And I felt like he just got dominated by Everton's centre-back pairing. Um, With him, it's always like he doesn't know when to take the shot. Like he'll wait too long before releasing or snatch at it. Um, And that was just the case of the entire game. I think he had three shots blocked in like effectively one v one situations where the defender caught up with him. So yeah, he's a, he's a tough one because I know the coaching staff was working with him on becoming more physical. Um, and you can see that with the way with just with the warm ups before every game where they would have him, uh, you know, up against a, a coach trying to shrug him off before taking a touch as if they were preparing him for that sort of movement, um, before shooting. Um, and it definitely worked at the start of the season, especially I felt like he was developing in that regard, but it's almost like he's come away from that now uh, without being at risk for talking too long. Uh, I'll say that, building on your earlier point, that the game kind of felt um, like a mix between a Roy game and a Vieira game in that we, whilst we didn't have much of an identity, we definitely dominated possession more. I felt like we were definitely more interesting to watch, um, but we didn't capitalise on that domination uh and the way our goals came about like you said henry weren't as a result of that identity however mild it may be it was result of mistakes so i think we have an identity but i think the problem is we don't have the players to do it if you're you're starting with jeffrey schlupp and jordan are every week these guys aren't going to beat the player and sort of no it's not going to be an incredible dribble that's going to get get you to goal it's always going to be a cross to the byline sort of thing they're they're not they're not good enough good to go forward for us to have a real sort of crossing identity whereas jack harrison going to cut in you know what he's going to do every time ashley young going forward even from right back mcneil too is now that yeah but what they were doing both cutting inside and crossing for for calvert lewin even when beto came on it was a you know he's a handful and palace just don't have the forward options i think in terms of Edouard's return, was it 5 in 12, 13? How many games we played? 5 and 11, something like yeah, that? Yeah, something like that. Which is, you know, if you're thinking of that at the start of the season, that's not bad at where we are. I thought he was okay with the nice little link-ups him, Will Hughes and Eze were doing in the first half. But as you mentioned, anytime he's got a slight sort of time to think about what he's going to do, he struggles. He's a striker who's very much sort of game is based on instinct and uh with Eze and, and Elise both coming back, we both know Elise likes to chop in onto his left and float the crosses in or, or sort of arrow them towards the back post. That's not Edouard's strength. So we're gonna need to we're gonna need to have a look at that because there's no way we're not going to be starting with Ebr uh Eze and, and Michael Elise at Luton when we come back. I mean you highlight that, um but I do feel like the Elise Ed- Edward connection has had um 
its merits. Um, you know, this is an Edward's first season. Obviously, there was that cross at West Ham that Edward got on the end of, sort of threw himself at the ball. Um, again, I think Elise assisted Edward's goal at Leeds, right? Um, yeah. I mean, they they definitely have their moments. I feel like Edward's one of those players that's so instinctive in front of goal. I've definitely said that a lot on our Twitter page, use the word instinctive. Um, that crosses just into that area would result in a goal for him eventually. But against teams like Everton, I feel like that would be less likely to come about simply because of the physical um, nature of centre-backs compared to Edward. I feel like he wouldn't have the ball dropped to him um, as much as he would hope. Like, I play as a striker um, when I play football, and something I've experienced as someone that's not as physical as other strikers in the division is that if the centre-backs are bigger than me, I'm just simply not going to have the ball dropped to me in the box. And it may feel like luck when in reality there's a physical and even a mental uh, component because if you're sort of scared of the center backs you'll try and stray away from them and if you do uh, and the ball's going into that area you're not going to be anywhere near it so um there are all these different aspects that will be influencing um edward's play for sure so i guess that sort of makes me ask the question do you think mateta should be starting it uh no <laughs> but only because i think edward's overall game is probably better um I like, I like Mateta a lot, but yeah. I'd, what I'd be doing in terms of you know, the formation and, and the sort of team lineup is I'd be playing Jordan through the middle, Edward as the 10, Elise on the right, Eze as the left. And I think that's probably where you Ooh. get the best sort of, I think that's where you get the best sort of all four interlocking because I use, I can pin a defender. We're not going to be sending long balls into him, but if you're asking him to hold up the ball, win a clever foul, he's the, he's the best I've, I've probably seen at, at yeah. doing that. So um, I think it would probably be the way that, you, that you'd unlock the full potential in the team. But I don't think Roy would would, would do that. So it's, yeah. a, it's a pipe dream I'll have. But yeah, I, I like Mateta a lot. And obviously, you know, I think he's a... In terms of what we got from him, he's had some some great moments at the football club. And think yeah. about the Leicester game, even Wolves this season where he came on and sort of the back back assist and everything he's... Um, he goes through these real good purple patches. We think there's a, there's a very talented player here, and for the deal that Palace got him on, it's in the Premier League. It's not been bad at all. So, be interesting to see uh, what the team looks like at the end of January. But yeah, I think there might be. Uh, there are. I don't think there might be. There is a need to to add another yeah. sort of few forward options to this squad. Well, you know, we've been uh, linked with a lot of forward options in that area. I saw I saw someone reporting um, that we were going back in for Ian Acho, but I, I wasn't convinced by that one after what the Athletics said about us looking for more diverse attacking options. Um, Henry, I'm going to come to you for this one. Um, if you had to, if we were to sign a, a striker or an attacker of some sort in January, what kind of player would you be interested in? Would you want us to go back in for a Katike, um on loan or maybe even a permanent deal? Unlikely. Um, from PSG or maybe someone like Ian Acho with Premier League experience. I mean, it's it's a hard one because I feel I feel Ekatike, the whole kind of it was more the romance around you know Palace signing a player from PSG in the summer, which I thought a lot of fans got carried away by. You know, looking at I know, I I'll, I'll admit I've not watched the, the most of Ekatike. I've not watched more than anyone else has, but I don't know if he's necessarily the answer to our problems. I think, you know, it was clear and obvious in the summer that we needed to replace Wilf. I think there's not much point in me saying that because it's so obvious. And, um, you know, we had the links of Sinistera. You know, he did very well in the cameo for Bournemouth the other night against Newcastle. Um, I feel like that kind of 
yeah, we've got Eze Elise, and it, it hurts because I mean, Bruno, you know how much I love Ayu. I think he at the moment he's undroppable. I think he's our best player. He has been our best player this season anyway. But um, I think it's it's we kind of need that power that Wilf had going forward because you know. It, Obviously, Elise's not being fit this season, but even last season, he's not the sort of player to kind of, or not as much as Wilf, to get the ball and really drive. And, you know, I remember I remember there was, you know, for season on season, you know, we'd we'd all be in sellers. We'd see Wilf get on the ball, turn, drop his shoulder, turn. He's got, you know, 30, 40 yards of grass to run towards and everybody gets excited. I still feel like we're missing that. And, you know, it's not easy. Wilf is a one in a million player. He's, you know, the, the best player to ever play for our football club. But it's that kind of, you know, the player that can just get the fans excited. And, you know, we have that in a sense with Eze and Elise. But, you know, I feel like, uh, I, I think Eduardo Mateta is a very, you know, very good two strikers in for a Premier League team. It's about getting the, the right service to them. So for me, I'd say, you know, that's exciting and you know gets us all like you know just 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 gets the fans engaged in palace and kind of makes us gives us that passion for it again i don't know no i know exactly what you're on about mate and um something i wasn't really expecting from elise especially not back from injury was him to so aggressively take on his man uh at the weekend and i think he did it what twice he just knocked the ball past um past the left back and just ran into the space ahead of him and with the you know added I'm going to use the word hype around Elise's return. You could just feel Selhurst suddenly raise us and with, you know, the home self and athletes coming back in for the second half as well. Um, and with the <laughs> Selhurst, Selhurst bark in the dark under the lights, you know, all the all the factors kind of combined there for one of those sort of spine tingling go on moments um, that we saw from Wilf. Uh, and yeah, I think, I think you're spot on. Those sorts of players, um, they're not just there in terms of the impact on the game, they're there for the impact on the fan. And that's a cyclical... Um, sort of system you know if you're boosting the fans and the fans are going to boost the team it's just a end the cycle of positivity it's why teams you know can end up in such good form if uh, the fans are so optimistic going into a game um so yeah i mean i think that's pretty much it for uh everton as a game what i will just briefly say is on our midfield decore obviously wasn't available um, so we had to work with this holding duo of Hughes and Lerma. Lerma was obviously brilliant, one man of the match for us. That guy can jump higher than anyone I've ever seen. It's pretty remarkable. Very good. He was he was very very good on Saturday. Probably his um his best performance since the Sheffield United game. I thought he's probably looked a bit injured in recent weeks or just a bit building back Slow. up his fitness. It's, yeah, it's yeah. a shame for him really that the international. Well, shame for us that the international breaks come now because. God, what a player. What a player is it? Absolutely phenomenal on Saturday. I think that's a very fair fair claim to say that he's one of the best signings in the summer in, in the entirety of the Premier League. I think he is excellent. I mean, Bournemouth fans were gutted. I know a couple and they were absolutely gutted when he left. You know, I, I just think he is such a good footballer. I'm, I I still can't believe that we got him, especially on a free. It's the, type, it's the type of business you need to be doing if you want to be moving two or three places up in, in the Premier League every season. Um, if only we could sign some sort of attacking players who had the same sort of experience just to, to fill the gap, basically. Or, you know, who are good in uh, Adama Traore, Sinistera, Harrison, the players who were available over the Andre Ayew. over the summer. Yeah, oh, No, not Andre Ayew. Um Players who, uh, <laughs> who were available over the summer on a free transfer, on a loan that, that can come in and just do a job. Because we all knew 
Michael Elise and Matthias Francia weren't going to be ready for the start of the season. So yeah. you're just throwing away games, basically. But yeah, it's just rinse and repeat again. Matthias Francia, I guess he's the point of excitement for this season, really. You know, a £20 million signing with £10 million in add-ons, including, of course, the much-reported £5 million Ballon d'Or clause. Um, that and the giving of the uh, number 11 was obviously were obviously two huge factors in building the mystique around him. Uh, it was going to take him time for time to settle. Um, there was a uh, expert in Brazilian football who said he just wasn't ready for the Premier League yet, and that's completely reasonable for a nineteen-year-old with limited first-team experience. But would you say it's almost poor from the club not to give him more of an opportunity to be eased in with with less pressure? I personally felt when we were linked with Sinistera that a one-season loan for a more seasoned player such as such as him would give France the opportunity to shine in periods of time where we've got injuries or off the bench, uh, preparing him for a more significant role next season. If he even is, of course, a left winger. I know um, Brazilian fans were saying he was more of a 10. It's where we've seen him played so far in the league. Um, so, yeah, Henry, I'm going to come to you on that one first. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think, you know, uh, the excitement around a player like France is natural. You know, Brazilian Ballon d'Or clause, you know, obviously we all see the highlight reels, rainbow flicks in games, that kind of stuff. It, it's what fans want to see. But then, you know, I think you're spot on that we he kind of almost has been let down by the fact that we didn't bring in someone to kind of like take that mantle as, you know, an actual first team starter because he's kind of now, I think, expected by fans unfairly really to kind of, you know, what, why is this lad not starting? Why is he As not Roy said... Um, right with his uh, quote saying we've imbued um, these sort of qualities and expe- expectations upon him. Obviously a much discussed quote, um, but that criticism from Roy at the fans felt like it would have been better levied at the board for um, setting a guy up for that sort of pressure and for setting the fans up to have those sorts of expectation- expectations, even if you could consider it naive um, for us to do so. I felt like it wasn't aided by the... Um, circumstances regarding his transfer i don't mind the announcement video or even the shirt number but not signing anybody else in the attacking positions to replace in inverted commas the player that is our greatest ever um certainly a questionable decision there i mean i'm sure it was driven by a variety of factors whether it be budget or simply just not having the right player um um worth spending that sort of money on but you know, it, it's still a tough situation for France, uh, for Roy, in terms of players to pick from and, and for the fans. So it's what you got to work with. The plan was to to keep Will Fan sign France so he could just have a Michael Aliso type first season. So don't know, don't know what happened to the plan, but yeah, so he's meant to be, he's meant to be drip fed minutes. He wasn't, I, I don't think there was, I don't think it was ever going to be an expectation that this kid who barely started a game, in Brazil, it was obviously held back because they knew he was good and he was the next one on the conveyor belt. Um, I don't think there was any expectation that he was going to come in and, and rip it up instantly. Um, unfortunately, due to the lack of options, he's going to have to. So we need him to be good, good enough to, to, to hit the ground running. It hasn't quite worked out yet, but he's still, he's still given time. Um, yeah. uh, the, the game I'm looking forward to is whoever we get in the FA Cup, a bit mm. like Michael Elise against Millwall. Yeah. Just go in there and rip it up, and then give him all that confidence, and uh, that would uh, that would fill me with a lot of joy. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. It's, it's still early days; like, there's no yeah. point 
I watched him against Wimbledon. Okay, he had a couple of shots, but there's no point judging him off such a small litmus test when you spent so much money on him. Yeah. I mean, we were watching the uh, the Wimbledon game, me and Henry, together to um, get a grasp of how he was playing and just to write our general post, post, post-match review. Uh, and we both came to the sort of conclusion that, yes, he's got a way of dribbling with the ball that is levels above, I'd say, the players in that team. Like, even when Ahamada was going on impressive runs through the Wimbledon players, you felt like he was slowly running out of um, control, whilst I didn't feel that with Franca as much. I felt like he was much more calculated and had a quality on the ball but at the same time he tends from the very little i've watched of, watched of him uh to like drift in and out of games uh in a way where he doesn't have much of an influence if we don't have possession um and those two shots he did have were somewhat exciting but you'd hope he'd do better so yeah like you said hard to judge a player off um such little game time and in such a different situation to where he'd be expected to play i'm gonna move on um, looking at the Homestale Fanatics' confusing um, uh, to many actions at the start of the Everton game. So obviously they started the game all out and then left uh, pretty much immediately. You were in the in the stadium in the press box. So what were your initial thoughts of that um, situation? Well, the way the press box is, is that the main stand roof actually dips down above Blocky. So you can't actually see the fanatics. You can, can didn't know there was a banner, didn't know anything. I just I turned to uh, Matt Wisdom and I said, oh, it's a bit quiet here today, isn't it? And uh, I looked over, you can sort of see like a few empty seats and then there's no drum and then is the drum broken if something happens? Because I remember when, <laughs> I'm pretty sure when we played QPR, they were protesting about something then as well. And when Matt Phillips scored that absolute worldie and... Um, it felt like that sort of atmosphere. And then obviously I had a look on, on, on Twitter and saw people saying that they walked out and and saw the, uh, the photograph that the photographer sent, obviously complaining about something at Croydon Council. So, yeah, it was, it was weird. Obviously, it came back for the second half. They just sat in the concourse, I think, for the first half. So I, I don't really get it. I mean, you pay your money to, to go and watch the football. But, I mean, I, I get why they're protesting. But, yeah. Yeah, it was curious. Um Obviously, they came out with their um, equipment at the start of the second half. What I heard was that um, the equipment was kept um, on site at Selhurst Park and um, not due to Croydon Council influence. It was just a bit late in being um, uh, unloaded and handed out to the Home Self and Attics members. And I think they may have misconstrued it or used it as an opportunity to... Um, uh, discuss the treatment of the uh, Croydon Council, which has been something I think that's been bothering them for a while. I know they were uh, quite harshly looked at for the flares during the Arsenal game. Um, that was definitely something that right. influenced the decision to get involved because I think there was some personnel at the at the ground on that day. So it, it's a tricky one. I think the general rhetoric of Croydon Council have having better things to focus on is probably um, quite applicable. And there's no doubt we uh, missed the Homestore Fanatics in the uh, first half of the game. We kind of came alive in the second half, definitely with Michael Lee's substitution as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> they're a controversial figure at times, but there's no denying the impact they have to the fan base. Henry, anything to add? I mean, I mean, uh, I can only kind of 
shine a light on exactly what you said. And, you know, we all see it. I mean, I haven't, I've only been to a handful of games this season, not many over the last two years, been living so far away now. But, you know, it, it, you're completely right. The the atmosphere is basically non-existent without the HF. I mean, you know, as much as, you know, sometimes they throw their toys out the pram, sometimes, you know, they can be a little bit controversial amongst the general fan base. And I know there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of uh, people that dislike them, you know, with the whole move to blocky, everything like that. But um, it, it's no question, you know, it's light and day, the difference between the atmosphere. Yeah. And ultimately, ultimately that's, it, it does reflect on the players. They are going to notice that. I wouldn't be surprised if the players came out on Saturday and were like, what's going on? Like, where are the fanatics? They, that's the kind of thing that they are going to notice. As much as they're professional footballers, you know, that is part of the kind of Selhurst atmosphere, the Selhurst culture, the, you know, the opposition probably, you know, also would have picked up on the fact that, oh, it's pretty quiet today, you know, we can capitalise on this. Yeah. So, it, you know, it is something that, you know, I think for, for, for the club's sake, I think, you know, keeping the HF on side as best as possible, you know, is always going to be positive. But, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think it's one there. But, yeah, let's move on to the recent links from the Mirror about Dougie Freeman potentially leaving to go to Manchester United, uh, apparently. Uh, Jim Ratcliffe is a pretty big fan of our director of football. Um, what do you think would be the leading factors that would encourage him to go? Uh, Edmund, I'll start with you. Well, it's Manchester United, isn't it? I mean, it's a completely different kettle of fish to, to, to working for Crystal Palace. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, he obviously has Dougie probably, like, I don't really know too much about him, but he probably has these ideas that he wants to sign. You know, people like Matthias Venture and uh, we saw we were linked to the, the kid who scored against United the other day and, and stuff like that. He obviously wants to build these these top young talents and, and sell them on for a profit. I think if you look at his body of work as a whole, even for when he was manager of the club, he's, he's made some great investments. Joe Ward, Vicente Guaita, um, even Jeffrey Schlupp for the amount that we've got out of him. Um, Did we get Schlupp with... Uh... Dougie Friedman is our DOF? Yeah, 2017 after um, he came, Friedman came when Frank the Ball was there. The Ball got sacked. Uh, yeah, Friedman. I thought we signed Schlupp in January. Yeah, yeah, you're right. My bad, my bad. We signed, we signed Schlupp when Allardyce was there. Friedman came back, the Ball, and then Hodgson. So, yeah, you're right, my bad. But even looking at even looking at likes of Mark Gahey and, and Joachim Anderson for combined what under 40 million and the amount we're getting from them so he's he's obviously very good at his job and I'm not surprised that if it's uh, if it's true that others are potentially looking at him well the thing with United is you could potentially argue that despite the um, money that I'm sure they'd be willing to back his um, his experience with you know it's not exactly a club renowned for its gloriously um, coherent and smooth board situation um uh i've definitely heard the phrase or rather the um the word rotting attributed to to the club in general especially the stadium um and you could also argue that a club of manchester united stature where pressure is something that we've seen annihilate new signings players such as jaden sancho um even players such as hoyland who despite being impressive in the champions league is getting doubts thrown his way you know rumors of a potential new striker signing coming in after just a couple of games in the Premier League. Um, 
Dougie Friedman tends to focus on players that can be eased into teams, young talents, players that can be easily affected by talk and criticism. Is that really the right setting for um for a you know sporting director with his specific attributes? I don't think he'd really mind. <laughs> I don't I don't think he I don't think it's weird in football. I don't think necessarily obviously there's pressure and there's lots of noise and with Manchester United there's a a whole host of noise that comes with it a hundred times more intense than working for Crystal Palace, but probably wants to, it wouldn't surprise me if you wanted a, a, a chance at going to a club that had more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? More uh, lure in the transfer market. Yeah. Status. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More. Now yeah, I'm sure he's going probably to watch hundreds of games of football. I, I know Matt did that great piece about him in the athletic and stuff like that. It's yeah. Sky very meticulous in what he does, and I'm sure if he had the uh, extra financial sort of clout to, to work within the market, he'd probably enjoy it. So, yeah, he's he's done a terrific job for us. Whatever happens, but what does it what does it mean for Palace? Not a whole lot at the moment because it's just the one report. It's not, yeah. So I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't lose any sleep over it just yet. Yeah. I mean, I saw a lot of um, distress reactions. Obviously, obviously, he means a, a huge deal to the club. But, you know, at this stage, I really don't think it's worth getting too concerned about. One thing I will say um, about Friedman, though, is his negotiation abilities are widely respected and renowned. Um, and if he were to go to United, I think that in tandem with their, like you said, allure in the transfer market would be... <laughs> A lethal combination for sure and you know who wouldn't um want to oversee a rebuild at a club of that size so yeah i mean it would be a good move for him personally although it would be worrying from a perspective of the club uh henry i'll move on to you i'll sort of ask you a question here um in terms of dougie freeman's many signings for the club who do you think um has been the most influential if you take sort of budget into account um if you take impact ability potential sell on value etc i think that last point you've made there with the sell on value is going to obviously is going to like kind of make me look towards the more recent years i think i i mean I, like i mean Eze is just that is an absolute still you know the price we paid the the realistically you know especially with this new contract that he's just signed i you can't it's going to be a lot of money we end up getting from whether it's this summer or next or you know i can't imagine it being much longer than that that we keep hold of him so i think Eze's, you know and it's kind of it, it's very Eze is a very on brand signing for crystal palace just like michael elise was you know you know young kind of south london flair that we that we love so much at our club and i think you know i think he's he's a great example of a signing where I think what you're saying is with Doogie, you know, if he did go to United is very interesting. It's kind of like, you know, doing a financial takeover on a career mode. He he knows the players that he wants to sign, but now he's going to be able to, you know, multiply those signings by 10 and, you know, be able to bring in even better talent. And, you know, I think he, he has an incredible eye for talent. You know, you know, it wasn't, you know, Eze was obviously a good player at QPR, but, you know, to to kind of get get in there just kind of just before other teams had kind of started, you know, paying enough attention to him. Um, Elise similarly, you know, I think he's just an excellent, you know, you know, di- director and you know, scout and all of these things that contribute to his role at the club. But um, 
you know, I think it would be a worry if he left, but I think, you know, for now we just have to kind of, you know, I, I think take any kind of rumours with a pinch of salt. But yeah, for me, it's, for me, it would be as a, yeah. Yeah, good answer. I think I'll agree it's between uh, him and Elise for me, maybe Mark Gay, because I'm just a huge fan of him in general. But of course, Dougie Freeman was formerly a manager as well. So that could be an added, um, you know, area of knowledge for him, uh, just in terms of identifying how a player can grow or what can be coached and what can't. Obviously, you can consult on these things, but some things, just having that knowledge, um, you know, already is so, so useful. Uh, talking about, you know, a Dougie Friedman signing uh, and on the boardroom level, Jacob Bryan was somebody we signed um, from Ireland a couple of years ago. Uh, that's a, you know, a system we've we've trusted, you know, with players like Kofi Barmer, um, uh, Sam Graham, um, Sean Graham, sorry, uh, Cormac Austin, Justin Devaney and so forth. Um he was pretty pretty well suited to under-21 football, obviously a very physical player, top, top-class centre-back, had a loan at Swindon uh, in League Two at the time, uh, and then at Molenbeek last year when they got promoted, and now, of course, has left uh, to join Leon, where he's just scored his first goal against Wren at the, uh, the weekend. So, Edmund, I'll go to you on this one. Um Thoughts on letting him go for one million pounds? Obviously, you got to take some things into account there, but is it one that might bite us later on, or is it too early to say? Well, there's a sell-on clause, so if he does, you know, well enough, we'll, we'll make some more money from it. So, <laughs> um, you know, we've got we've got a USA international on the bench and Rob Holding as well. So yeah. there was no way he was gonna, you know, I know we signed Holding afterwards, but there's no way we were gonna. He's going to come in and, and get above these two on the bench and even having Mark Gahey and Joachim Anderson there. So it's a fantastic opportunity for him at Lyon. Like, unbelievable having an Irish player in Ligue 1. I know they're not having a great season, but they are one of the biggest clubs in world football not with their history and what they've accomplished there. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I was delighted to, to see him score the goal. I think yeah, he, he actually looked pretty good during pre-season for us, but they, I, I never saw... It must be so frustrating being Chris Richards because you're just on the cusp of it, but you got Mark Gahey and your commanders in there. You could, this, I don't know whether you can feel hard done by that you're not getting in there unless unless you're switching to a three. It's you know, those two are so good together. So um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say Jacob Ryan's necessarily the one that that got away or yeah. anything like that. He um, for tremendous attributes. I think that would be suited for the championship in particular with his height and physicality, but. He's doing it in a fantastic league. I know, obviously, it's uh, there's some teams in there that I'd, I'd love to see how they would get on actually in the Premier League and whether they'd be able to compete. But Leon's a massive football club, and um, yeah, I'm I'm delighted to see him doing well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, he contributed to their first one of the season. It has been pretty tough for them, and and for John Texter, of course. Um, obviously, in 2021, after the uh, Newcastle acquisition, some new laws were implemented. Um, regarding uh, transferring players from one squad to another, if some from one team to another, if they're owned by the same um, sort of people or organization, is it possible that that one million pound fee, which was somewhat criticised, although for a player of his experience, you know, it's somewhat reasonable, is that to do with the fair market value law, where you've got to um, stick within the confines of what's acceptable uh, for a player of that sort of level? 
I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know what 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 went on there. Um, it's one million pounds. I mean, it's, it's a, it was a, in theoretically, if you're looking at it, it's a kid that's played in the Belgian second division for the entire season and done very well. So it's, it's one million pounds. I don't. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's £1 million pounds of the sell-on clause. I mean, not really yeah. much you can complain for a player limited to Belgian second division football um, and appearances at under-21 level. I- I'm going to go back to your point about Chris Richards because he's such an interesting player. He kind of, in terms of his own personal qualities, I feel like he is somewhere between um, Gehi and Anderson in terms of he's got that height, but he's also got that pace. Um, he can, um, you know, pass a football, which is something that's quite um important in our in our in our squad especially when compared to players like james Tompkins, who we've had for such a long time and that's what puts him ahead of a player like holding as well in um terms of the pecking order he's a very well respected defender especially amongst the um usa national team setup um he's a lovely guy i'm i'll be devastated if it doesn't really work out for him because i rate him a lot he's got a great slide tackle on him albeit a bit rash for him to pull those off in the box so frequently and that might be what's contributed to the penalties we've conceded when he's been on the pitch um or almost conceded um like that one at uh in the cup away at united right they definitely complained about that one but yeah i mean i really like him henry i'm going to ask you your thoughts on uh chris richards as a player i mean i think edmund mentioned it with jacob Bryan not being the one that got away i think i strongly believe that if we were to let i mean there's been whisperings that you know, Bundesliga clubs are interested. I mean, I've, I, when those whisperings were happening, I was kind of looking into like that kind of side of Twitter, which obviously is not a good place to grasp realistic yeah. opinions and gen, genuine like kind of facts and figures and stuff. But, you know, they love him in Germany and there were numerous Bundesliga fans like very excited by the potential that he could go back. I think if we did lose him, he would definitely be the one that got away. I think he's an excellent player. He's got brilliant attributes. He's, you know, the USA starting centre back, probably one of their top players, really. Um, I think, you know, he's got he's got all the attributes to be a good Premier League defender. But you wonder if he's more well suited to, to the Bundesliga, you know, with, with the pace that he has and the way they've got to deal with strikers running in behind. He's commanding in the box. But is that it is his um role as almost a, an everyman not what you need um in the Premier League where you're looking for either intense physicality or someone who's a lot faster if you look at the partnership between Mark and um Joachim you wonder just would Richards be an adequate replacement for either of those if they were to move on and you, you'd feel like you'd still be missing something um uh due to the sacrifice he makes in terms of being at the highest level of a certain attribute due to being that everyman like I said yeah I feel like you're right but I think you know I, I do think it in, in a way, it's harsh to compare him because, like, I mean, Gay Anderson are two of the best centre-backs we've ever had at the club. I think they are obscene in terms of their their the level that they play at. And, you know, I think we, it would it would be realistic to expect that we lose one of them this, you know, coming summer. I think he, you know, so in that aspect, I don't think comparing him is necessarily fair. I, personally, I think, you know, he's shown glimpses of being a very talented footballer. I think he could cut it out for us you know maybe you know this year if he plays more of a bit part role but gets a few more minutes I think you know I had a a couple of friends that were at the Plymouth game where he he played and you know it it, by all accounts he has absolutely no weak foot which is which could be an issue you know if he was to kind of make it more in 
uh, as a Premier League defender. I think, you know, they, they were saying mm-hmm. there was times, I mean, obviously, Corey, who's one of our writers, he um he was saying there's times where, you know, he gets the ball on his left foot and he look, looks completely, like, dumbfounded, has no idea what to do with it. But, um, you know, I think he is a very good player. I think, you know, if he can maybe get some more minutes, he, he he's the kind of player that could be that could definitely benefit from an injury to one of our starting centre-backs. Obviously, you wouldn't want that to happen. Exactly, touch wood. But if it was to happen, I feel like if anyone was to benefit from that situation, it would be Chris Richards. So, yeah, I think he's a great player. I think, you know, time would tell with him. It might be that we just end up, cut. you know, in a way, not, not it wouldn't be cutting our losses, but, you know, it might might be that we just decide to sell up. But, um, you know, I, I've, I, I, like the, I like the bloke. I think he's a top player. So, you know. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I mean that's pretty much everything. Um, I thought we should cover today. Uh, it's been absolutely wonderful talking to the two of you guys. Uh, Edmund, I know it's your second time on, but Henry, um, for a debut on the podcast, I thought you've done very, very well. So, uh, it's always just brilliant to have you guys on, uh, Henry. A special um thank you and um well done to you. Uh, but yes, um, thank you for listening. Um. We love doing this podcast. Uh, we're not quite weekly at the moment. But we'd love to work towards that. Be sure to check out uh, Edmund Brack's Twitter page and his writing for the South London Press. He's at Edmund Brack. Henry Swain um, writes for, I'm going to plug his writing for us, I think, the most. Uh, so that'll be on thepalaceway.com. He's at Henry Swain Jern, um, as in journalist on Twitter. So, yeah, like I said, check those guys out. Thank you very much for listening and uh, we'll see you next time.